my philosophy is you can only do your best. I mean, I tell my students all the time, yes, you can. All you can do is you, you can only do your best, but no more. We've been out to restaurants with her, and she gets recognized, and it's so cool. Just makes you even more proud of her. It is really neat. And you pick up the local paper, and pff, there's Angeline. Yeah, there's a picture of Angeline. And yeah. NPR. It's really neat. Every morning for like two months in a row, NPR, when they would do like the little bumpers in between stories, would, would congratulate Angeline Chang, Grammy award-winning pianist at Cleveland State University. When I heard just part of the announcement, I was like, oh my goodness. I couldn't believe it. I mean, I can still feel it. I mean, it's just, I feel like, oh, gosh, tears are coming to my eyes. Like, oh my goodness, this is just unbelievable, just incredible. She told me about it in such an offhand kind of way. It was like she left a message for me. And I think part of it was that she was having this dress made, and the dressmaker lives on my street. And she said, oh, hey, Ellie, I just wanted to say hi. I happen to be going past your house. I'm picking up this dress, you know, because I'm going to go to the Grammys. And... And it was just kind of like that. And I was like, wait, whoa! <laughs> you know, I'm listening to this message going, she's going to the Grammys? You know, you you know you do the best work that you can do. And that's really important, and that's really rewarding in itself, but to be recognized is like, oh, over the top. <laughs> I'm interested in being a teacher myself, not just a performer, so that I can bring some things to others also I feel this responsibility. I've been so fortunate myself to have these experiences that you can't just keep it for yourself or just be a great performer and not pass it down to, to, to the next generation so that it can be reproduced or can progress, basically. It's important that the students or those after you are able to go beyond you. I was intimidated. Um, I did not know about her whole history of, of uh, world-famous career. Um, I didn't know about all her, her credentials, but I knew that she was a very accomplished pianist. It's such a personal relationship um, between your professor and, and the student when you get to this high level. She's very committed to my education. She's committed to her education. She's committed to this school. I think she's a gem to this department. She's so committed to her students, and I think that's wonderful. Um, I feel that when I'm working with her, that she's committed to my education to take me as far as I can possibly go. Today in the podcast, I have Dr. Angeline Chang, or Chang, I think is the proper pronunciation, yes? And she's America's first woman Grammy Award-winning classical pianist. That's a big deal. And you're also a professor of music and law at Cleveland State University. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Sylvia. It's great to be here. I mean, being the first woman to win a Grammy as classical pianist, that's a huge deal. I mean, did you expect to win it? Or was it of a total surprise? Not. <laughs> no? Well, I mean, people, people work for, you know, to get this Grammy, it's a big deal. So how did it happen? Well, it seemed almost by accident, but I'll have to tell you how it happened was just making a recording. And I have to say it was really, really, really an effort of, from the heart, you know, something that one does just to do one's best one possibly can. 
And I do have to give you a little backstory about the piece itself because, um, and that's what made it even more special for me to have won because it was a piece by a, a, a teacher of mine, a big mentor, Olivia Messiaen, the, the composer, the French composer. He and his wife were my mentors when I was a student at the Paris Conservatory. So she, um, Madame Lovio, Madame Messiaen, um, she actually, uh, taught me piano, she was my piano teacher. And um, so it really meant a lot to me to do my best for this recording, just to, just to have something out there. And to be recognized for that was really just over the top. That was just so special. And what, what was very interesting to me because, you know, you have these thank you speeches at, at, at the award ceremony. And so I really felt this and had mentioned that, um, you know, basically because I believe that we all stand on the shoulders of others. It's not yes. that it happens on your own, right? Yes. Um, and so I, I did give a shout out to music educators and, and because of that fact, and I know I wouldn't be here today had, not, had it not been for my teachers and the, those who had encouraged and supported me along the way. Yeah. And believe it or not, that got a standing ovation. Yeah. That got a standing ovation. So like, wow, people, people feel that, you know? And they so- yeah, and I was so thrilled because since then, they've actually established at the Grammys, and this may not be known to a lot of people, so it's good to talk about it. Um, then they established the Music Educators Award through the Grammys. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. On the back of that. Yes. That's yes. amazing. That's amazing. So, yeah, that's mm -hmm. big thumbs up to that. Big thumbs exactly. up. Now, just to backtrack a bit about your musical life, where did it all begin? How did you get into piano at such a, an amazing level? Wow. So I have to say that was really by accident. So um, my parents aren't the types that were like forcing me to take lessons or anything like that. In fact, it was quite the opposite. Growing up, I have to say there was a lot of competition between playing the piano and uh, watching the TV because it'd be in the living room, you know? So, so I, I joke around, but I think to some degree, there's some truth to it. While my, everybody else in my family wanted to watch TV, they had they were like, okay, can you turn it down? I was like, no, I have to practice. So I would get louder. They'd turn the TV louder. I would play louder. So Make I'd you more determined. Exactly. So I have a really powerful technique and I have to thank, it to, thank my siblings for that. I can play really loud. <laughs> so what age did you begin kind of looking at the piano and saying, oh, this looks interesting? Yeah, yeah so how it's happened, like, so I was quite, you know, so probably about four where it happened by accident the first time. So we were invited to a family dinner and uh, well, you know, some, some folks that were important in my parents' life, a formal dinner. And of course, as a four-year-old, not always, of course, but I happened to be this way, very precocious. And I was running all around the house because I don't know, grown-up talk and dinner, uh, you know. I know, it's boring, yeah, for a <laughs> four-year-old. So then, you know, later on, it's like, I came across this room. It's like with things that I had no idea what was inside. And, you know, the, the, the lady of the house, the host um, uh, was a, a composer, a musician, oh, wow. a music teacher. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And so I was next to the piano and I was, I didn't know what it was. And she sat me down and started to play and showed me what it was. And believe it or not, for the rest of the evening, I was just in heaven. I was just so well behaved. My parents were like, Oh, well, that's going to hold her interest great. Let's get a piano. Yeah, leave her there and we'll have a chat. Isn't that it? Yeah, exactly. exactly. So you're four years of age and you get mesmerized by the piano, literally. And what follows that then? Do lessons come in to your life then? Lessons kind of came in in dribbles. Um, and so it was interesting for me because it wasn't that I had 
some stellar piano teacher from the get-go. I had everything in between. And I have to say now as an educator, uh, I, I see the value in, in learning like what works and what doesn't work. And I'm sure you can appreciate yes, that. Yes, I do. I do. Yes, mm -hmm. very much. Mm -hmm. And we'll say you moved into school years and everything. Were you showing uh, virtuosity at that point? I mean, was there the signs, I wonder, of, oh, there's some gifting here that's very beyond the norm, we'll say. Well, I come from a relatively small town and um, so, you know, it's like, so, um, yeah, I mean, in a, in a way there was, but I do have to credit my teachers. I did get a really good training in public school okay. and I, I also played in, other, in orchestra, I played instruments and all that. And I'd have to say that a, a big love of my, my, my musical life early on wasn't actually the piano. But really? playing, yeah, violin and and so forth in in school, yeah. and that that the orchestra teacher really made a point of sharing the classics, and we we did we did quartets, quintets, all sorts of chamber music along with playing an orchestra. So the love of music really it really resonated and came through. And somehow I think it was my my teacher in in school that recognized that really my, influenced you. Yeah, that's amazing. And I mean, when you think, I presume this is in America. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, when you think back to, I suppose, 2008 is the remarkable point in time where the budgets were cut, you know, for music education in schools. It's, you know, you think of your history now concerning that and the influences that you, you know, received. Isn't that kind of think of what the children are losing out on that they don't have that education in a sense. So what happened then when you left school? How did music move on from your school years into young adulthood? Well, um, it's interesting because I didn't really think about becoming a professional musician, but for my teachers, and it's funny because I think it was a violin teacher that, uh, that you know, strongly suggested I, I, I at least try it out, you know, and go in the direction because I thought one of the thing, big things I wanted to do is to be able to help society, to help progress, to help people. Okay. And so I thought, well, what's one way, what's, what's the best way to do that? And I thought, well, you know, maybe, maybe being like some sort of healer, a doctor of some sort, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so at that, at the, at the, at the edge of making a decision, well, the teacher's like, well, you know, there is sort of a, an, well, a lot of the schools that I may have wanted to go to, there is, there was an age limit. I mean, nowadays there's, it, it changes a little bit. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, you, you try out music. If it doesn't work out, you can always go back and study something else. It's like, okay, good idea. Solution yeah. solved. So I guess it's worked out. I'm still in it. <laughs> but um, so that yeah. was part of it. That nudge yeah. just, well, you know, try it out. Try it out. And I mean, you. it sounds to me that you love music for what it is, but you also love the ability or way of giving back to others through music. That seems to be a very strong part of the way you approach it, this whole scene. It really is. It absolutely is. And it influences how you perform, I bet you. So when you're performing on stage, for example, mm -hmm. and you see the audience there in front of you, in your mindset, how do you give back to the audience as you're performing? Well, to me, connection is really important. Connection about the music. It's not just about the notes. Of course, it's, it's easier said than done. but. There's, there has to be something inside and no matter what type of genre it is, mm -hmm. there's something that connects the human heart. Because I remember, you know, when, um, you know, technology is a big thing now, but in, yeah. in previous years, it was like, oh, when, when 
things came out like, oh, the synthesizers and all these types of things were so-called replacing instruments and unions would go wild about, oh, you know, you have to still pay the, the instrumentalists to sit there, even if something is doubled and they're not playing um, because they're afraid that would be, that humans would be replaced by technology. AI, yeah. AI, yeah. exactly. But really yeah. that human connection, no matter how close you get, even with all of the AI stuff, it's like amazing, just amazing. Mm -hmm. I love it. it. I love technology. But it doesn't substitute for what the human heart, what we have inside that really makes us connect. Well, I can't agree more. I can't agree more because think of when you go to a concert as a concert goer, not a performer, and you go away years later thinking back to that one concert you may have experienced that was remarkable and it holds that special place in your heart. I can think back to some concerts that I've been and you'd be thinking, oh my goodness, wasn't that amazing evening? And yet, if you listen to recording, you don't kind of have the same connection to it. But, you know, when it's a real concert, it's amazing. Yeah. Now, um, I was just reading up your bio and there's a mention of a Disclavier hybrid piano in your biography connected to Yamaha pianos. Now, I didn't know of it. Now, I know that there's uh, pianos for years called player pianos, but of course, with the help of technology, things have moved on quite a lot. Can you explain what this piano is and why you think it's it's an important thing in your bio? Oh, yes, it is very important. And the, um, it's, it seems like it's new technology, although, you know, it's interesting because with, with my legal background, too, there's the player piano really, the old days where it was like, a, a you know, <laughs> centuries past, uh, that was a big influence in music recording copyright because then you could have the, it would be replicated. Yeah. Well, today, I mean, it's not just mechanically replicated. It is mechanically, it can be re mechanically replicated. We have all sorts of you know, um, you know, digital ways to, to replicate things. But um, with the disc clavier specifically, it is the modern day piano player, player piano, excuse me, player piano in that sense that um, it's, 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 oh, it's amazing. I'll tell you one of the things that you, you might love um, also, which, which took me away is that you can, I can, well, you can play the piano and you can have headphones on and there's no sound outside except maybe some tapping noise but there's you can you can practice and you have the, the action of the piano of a, of a real acoustic piano not just a keyboard but actually hit it feels like you're hitting the strings you're, you're getting all the gradient gradations and all that with this this instrument it's amazing just amazing but with that another thing that can be possible um is that we could even like you're in Ireland, I'm in the States. If you have the same, let's, let's say you have a disclavier. I have a disclavier who I am. I play and your keys and pedal would be moving. You could hear out oh, of that's your incredible. Isn't it amazing? Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. yeah and so. you can hook it up to video so we can also see what's going on too, like in the performance. So it's not just the instrument. Yeah. So it's amazing. So it, another, opens up, it opens up the whole collaborative opportunity and, exactly. and orchestrating. Oh, wow. Okay. My, my head is just spinning. Go on. <laughs> and what I've done with it in concert is there is an element that what makes it possible is this MIDI element. That's an added thing. Plus, because it's a real piano, absolutely a real piano, really fine high end piano that has this added bonus with the electronics on the inside. So I could play the piano and by using that MIDI, that sensor that does the, that measures the replication and all that type of thing. I can, what I've done is I like be able to, what I play triggers another computer that triggers images to pop up as I play. Oh so my goodness, images. So you could have a big video at the back of your um, concert stage and it's coordinating with the, wow. Exactly. So, you know, like the old days where you had 
uh, silent movies where the the, the, the musician yes yes movie. yeah, well, yeah. It, this is where the image is following the the musician <laughs> that is amazing that opens yeah. up a whole lot of opportunity doesn't it for Absolutely. just new types of creative presentations if you will on on stage wow exactly. yeah that's spinning my head now with ideas <laughs> so Maybe you give <laughs> yeah i know just as a side note here your background obviously is classical music do you have a particular composer that you really love above oh, anyone else that that is such a hard question because you know it's just like asking you know some people they're really good at like what's your favorite food and they know exactly but it's it's very much like that it's like there's so much greatness out there and today it's like oh you just feel like this and this resonates with you but that doesn't mean it takes away from that that other enjoyable meal somewhere else in that restaurant you know for me it's yeah. food and music really takes you to different places you know sometimes oh yeah <laughs> very true <laughs> very true so you've you've lots of composers you love so um when we look at the whole notion of music education and students wishing to get up on the big stage and perform and so on what advice would you give them to get themselves to that stage oh to get on stage and to perform like to really have the performance um you know, it sounds like more we're talking about like confidence, right? Mm. To be able to perform because it's not just about practice, but yeah, you know, mindset is one of those big words these days, but really a lot has to do with that because a lot of times people are able to do in practice or I get sometimes the students like, oh, it was perfect in the practice room. You yes. know, it's like, yeah, yeah, sure it was. I know, I know how perfect it was, but it doesn't matter how perfect it was we have to actually be comfortable with where we are right now mm. in the moment and it's okay you know there's there, there's this saying you know there's no failure there's only feedback right so yeah yeah it's, like, it's how you look at things how you look at things mm -hmm. and do you do mindful techniques prior to doing concerts or do you do this as a daily activity to sustain yourself through this whole process Yes, yes, I really resonate with it a lot because I think it's it's not something that only pertains to performance, just to attain peak performance at the concert, but it's it's very much part of one's life, you know, to be able to to look at it holistically and see how you can improve and really make yourself better because then you are better positioned to be able to um, give your best and also to perform at your best. Very much like an athlete would train, yeah? Yeah, very true. And how important is the environment surrounding a musician when they're trying to reach new thresholds of skill or you know, build that confidence, um, get prepared to go into exam halls or on stage or you know, all these various aspects? Like, How important is the environment? Oh, it's very important to be acclimated so you know what you're getting into because a lot of times people are concerned about well um feeling comfortable like a lot of people are are not friendly to change so to speak you know like if something is a little bit off or um what they, they don't, don't expect then sometimes people get jarred by that but if you go into it knowing that things might be basically like this but there's ebb and flow to it as a jazz musician might might yes. do. There's a different part of the brain that gets gets activated uh, when we, we're more, more in that state of flow and yes, uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Not so, so, so what you're saying is the environment really gets you, helps, assists you to get into that flow state, as many people, you know, name it. It's a lot more detailed than that, but or, or um, even be familiar with. That's right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, 
very often I have seen with students that may be just trying to get there and they're in the early stages of, of getting used to this performance um, mm -hmm. scene is mm -hmm. that sometimes in the audience or in the surrounding environment, strange things can happen and it disrupts them in their flow. How do you cope with a situation like that as a performer? What well, do you do to get over that? Yeah, like they say in basketball, it's about the next shot, you know? So yeah. move on, <laughs> move on. <laughs> Just move on. <laughs> yeah, so be in the present. You know, the problem is a lot of times people are like thinking back to, or in the past or in the future, like, oh, what do I need to do? And they're not not in the moment, you know? They're yeah. not doing their task. At in other words, they're overthinking it in a sense. Yeah, they could be overthinking it in both ways, like, oh, that was wonderful. I love, I love what I just did. Oh, whoops, what, what do I have to do now? Or it's like, oh no, I'm so worried about that thing that's coming up. What do you do? Then you like trip, right? So yeah, so it's like, being the present moment. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Very important. Okay. In life too, I think. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of wisdom in what you're saying. Very much, there's a lot of wisdom there. Now you have an event coming up. Now, as I'm recording this episode, by the way, it's the round of 13th of June or so on, but you have an event coming up on the 27th of June called, just get the title here, Four Keys to Piano Mastery. And this is a rolling event. So if the listeners are listening to this after the 27th of June, there's more coming up um, as time goes on. But what is this about this event that you've coming up on the 27th? Yes, I found that a lot of times people are having similar types of principles that they're misunderstanding and and this is for every level not just for beginners or advanced players because i work with everybody in between and and you know professionals and i work with a lot of folks who've had have uh, had performance related injuries oh, okay. um and yeah yeah one of my teachers um well, uh, well dorothy taubman was very into um this aspect but not not as you think that it was a side effect that she actually was able to fix and cure people from injuries, but the, the, the mindset is really so that you can have virtuosity and play, be able to express what's in your heart. So to get people to that level, this is what, I, what I've come up with, the real essentials that one really needs to move on. And it's this type of program, it's not just, okay, you watch the lecture and then you do it on your own. No, it's, it's guided. So you have my personal guidance. So that's okay. what I think is really important. And is it, is it at a physical location or is it remote? It's remote. It's virtual. It's oh, virtual. So fantastic. Anyway. And where can people go to sign up for it? Oh, well, um, you can actually, the best thing people might do is even directly email me. Okay, I'll I, have that in the show notes. Okay. Yeah, I think that's the best thing to do because uh, I can give them the, the URL. But the thing is, um, I think what I'd like to do is also make sure if there's some sort of challenge somebody's going through, whether it be physical, technical, whatever it might be, to make sure this is the right fit and to make sure that we get that, get yes. that in place. Get that too. question answered. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And just when you speak about virtuosity, um, what is your definition of virtuosity? Oh, wow. People see well, it. People see it in different ways. So mm -hmm. for you, what does it mean? What's the definition? Well, for me, it's pretty much all encompassing. But the main main thing for me, what it means is to be able to have the tools to be able to do whatever you want to be able to express yourself. Yeah. So it's not just about playing loud and fast. That's part mm -hmm. of it. Sure, that, if that's the way that you want to express something. Mm -hmm. But to be able to do that as well as to be able to play as quiet as you, you'd like to be able to be so sensitive and heartfelt that you can actually express that out of the instrument. Mm -hmm. As you so may know, with the piano, yep, it's playing so hard. From the soul, playing from the soul. Yeah, exactly, from the soul. Yeah. There's no room for ego. No. When you're in no. that zone, there's no room for ego. 
Now, moving into your experience with law, um, you've got experience, you know, with entertainment law and all this kind of thing. What are the biggest challenges currently in the legal profession when it concerning music and all the rest of because we've all these like streaming sites you've artists putting up music and streaming sites you've mm -hmm. you know i presume there's a lot of gray areas there yet to be ironed out i would imagine so yes. what do you see as the biggest challenge in the legal industry concerning all that well in entertainment law it's not just one aspect and that's what that's really very challenging too because we have a lot of things rolled into that from you know, even ranging from what some people are very concerned about monetization to, uh, well, which relates to intellectual intellectual property, but it's not necessarily um, uh, only that. But that I think would be those those two types of things are probably the most burning issue for for a lot of artists out there right now, and also in the industry, also because um, of so much change that's been happening. Yeah. And so, yeah, because with the intellectual property, that used to be like, people didn't know what that meant, you know, the copyright, patent, trademark type of thing, or even the trade secret type of issues that, that might happen. And um, nowadays, that's big stuff. That's really big. That's where, um, that's where money can be made if you have, have, you have that, uh, uh, have the property there and know how to, how to navigate through the systems. Now, the, the challenge is also, as you notice, we're, we're on different continents. So yes. I, I'm, yeah, I'm in America, you're in Europe. Um, there's no real, um, let's say copyright. It's, it's um, they have some conventions and all that. So there's that type of international collaboration in a sense. Mm -hmm. But yeah. for, for, for us in the States, copyright, for example, is, is something that's federal within the nation. It's not like, okay, that everything that we know here applies to everything you have in Ireland necessarily. Yeah, so what you're talking is nation state to nation state, there's variances there and nuances of difference there to take into account. And what would be your number one piece of advice to an artist who's just about to put their music out there online? Um, what would you say to that person to think about very seriously? Well, uh, copyright infringement is has been a big issue, but there are a lot of workarounds around it too. There are two things to keep in mind because sometimes in the past, it was very much hold on to your stuff. Now, a lot of people are more like, oh, they just want to get it out there. Um, that's another way of looking at it too. And, and yeah. in fact, places like YouTube and whatnot, they've, they've been able to do some workarounds mm -hmm. um, so that people can monetize versus say, oh, versus take down only. I've had, I have, have had friends who've who've gotten their own things taken down because it sounded too much like something else they did. So, oh, really? <laughs> yeah, I know they've. I everybody's talking about like how tight, particularly YouTube, Google. You know how tight they've got regarding copyright and how the AI is starting to really kick in and, you know, take stuff down. So that's interesting. Now, um, where can people find out more about you? Oh, sure. If you'd like to check out my website or email me, um, you can email me directly at. Uh, um, Angeline Chang at gmail.com okay. and that's A-N-G-E-L-I-N-E-H-A-N-G -E um, my website.com right? okay. or, or email me at gmail but it, the information should be all there on my website you can look at that and uh, just give me a buzz I'm really happy to to, to touch base with you fantastic now I just want to ask you a few final fun questions oh, just sure. to finish off the episode what big musical secrets have you learned so far, if you were just to think of one? 
what major musical secret have you learned so far that maybe in other places they don't know about that you've discovered yourself? Well, if we're talking about technical tools, I have a lot of them, I do. And um, and so these techniques, it's, it's all about aligning yourself with nature, really, understanding how that works. And it has to do with balance and alignment. And that's, I'd say, the core. And I see that as, as relating to all walks of life. One of the things that I really believe in is that as a musician and as an artist, you know, sure, our music reflects life, yes. but it can't. Yeah, but our life can't just revolve solely around music. Otherwise, our music really, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Very, exactly. very. It's true. not about over practicing, but understanding how, where, and how to how to navigate and really nourish yourself in so many ways, and in in all ways, not just just not just one focus. And you'll find that that helps you grow in that special way, and to really I suppose, make it, I suppose you could say it as well, expanding your frame of reference not just limiting to music, because I find that when your frame of reference is widely expanded, you get all these new ideas and, mm -hmm. and you know, of how to actually express your core skill a lot better. You got it. You got yeah, it. which is really interesting. Who has created or given you the most impact in your life? Oh, my goodness. Or would I There's say it another way? What has created the most impact in your life? Well, I think, you know, I, I've had really some really fortunate experiences to have some legendary musical figures as mentors in my life and yeah. and more than one and what i found that's very much in common is keeping it real the authenticity recognizing your uniqueness yeah. not as a as, as oh i'm so different and you know I, i've had you know like everybody some sort of imposter syndrome and i remember the one time that i was for whatever reason not sure if i wanted to go in music you know yeah. earlier i mentioned okay if it doesn't work out we'll do something else i've been you know going through that one day, well, my piano teacher, I guess, noticed that, you know, I may have been going through some challenges and, and I don't even remember what, what the situation was. But I remember still what the, the teacher said to me to this day. And it was that, okay, it was just a simple thing like, yes, Angeline, consoling me in a way, this is our life. Yeah. And it seems so simple, but really, I think it wasn't that this is our life, but this is our life. That yeah, that you weren't alone, I suppose, in a sense. Exactly. Yeah that's the that's the one thing about piano in particular you can't carry a big grand piano with you everywhere and you're kind of people have this vision that you're practicing on your own for hours a day in your practice room and there's very little connection except when you go to perform or something like this or you know a company or something that you know this notion of being on your own kind of frightens people at least some people away from the whole notion how important is it to to connect with other musicians as a pianist oh, when you're going so through your learning Yes, when one's going through our learning, very, very important. Uh, not only for the social aspect, the chamber music aspect to be able to express, but also if you want to get better on the piano, to understand that the, the piano reflects a whole range of, of the orchestra, basically. All ranges of voice, of, uh, uh, as far as the range of how high and how low a voice can go too. Uh, one thing it doesn't really do very well is let's say legato because it basically is a percussive instrument uh, and basically once you hit it it starts to decay but the illusion of making it sound like it's singing it and make it create yes. that legato yes. be able to do that you have to understand how the human voice works for example or other instruments that can sustain how that feels how that resonates and how how to transfer that 
Yeah. And I suppose, again, it's about expanding your frame of reference, not to be solely focused on piano, but to understand all these other instruments and the influence that they can bring into your own interpretations. Absolutely. Yeah. What is the best tool every day that you choose to use? Now, we know you play the piano, but I mean, I'm talking about a tool that helps your life, enhances your musical life even. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, um, you know, I, 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 I think about directly when you mentioned that tools as far as technical tools, being able to make sure that one has the alignment and the knowledge to, to be aware. But the key is really awareness, you know, being more aware of oneself. And that you don't have to have any special tool, but a lot of times we ignore signs, you know, like we're feeling like, oh, well, you know, you know, if I'm going like this and your neck starts to hurt, then you might want to just notice. You might just want to reposition yourself a little bit, right? Yeah. But the thing is, a lot of times we're just not aware of things. Yeah. And so listen to I, your intuition. Yeah, your intuition. A lot of times your body talks to you, but you know the, 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 the caveat there is sometimes we tend to go back to what's familiar, but not necessarily what we really need or yeah, what's very true. Yeah. Very true. And to recognize the difference. It's not it's easier said than done. But yeah. if you can align ourselves a little bit more with that, you can test things out, mm -hmm. then you know, notice how you feel, you know, that type of thing. I Even suppose, with diet. Yeah, well very true i mean if you're living on sugar and fat and all these terrible things i mean you're you're not going to be very tuned into the finer points of life in a sense nutrition supports right. you in the positive way totally but i suppose it's also a fact with this modern technological world it's often been said that humankind now has only got the concentration level of a goldfish three seconds they're zooming down instagram and all the rest of it but taking that aside what I'm leading to is that slowing down and not being flying around the place all the time, thinking I have to practice here and I have to go here and do this and do that. Slowing down and taking time out to just feel who you are as a person. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny because a lot of times people think that you need to, like, if you were to meditate or whatever it might be, people think you need at least 20 minutes. You don't need 20 minutes. A few seconds can make a huge difference. Just so to stop. That's right. Stop what you're doing and just zone in and breathe yeah. and that kind of thing. Just breathe, breathe and exhale. You know, yeah. that's already simple, and thing. That, simple thing. Yeah. And even what we're doing, I believe, like whether it be playing the piano or some other task at hand, it's like the focus of doing that is already a type of meditation versus yes. like what you said, like, oh, scrolling down, you know, attention here, attention there and that type of thing, breaking it. But doing something like that, doing something that you really love and really getting, getting some enjoyment out of that. You notice, I suppose of... what you're speaking is as well is like, you know, when you get into that, we'll call it inverted commas flow state, um, yeah. it is a form of meditation because yeah. your brain is reacting in that way. That's right. Which is really interesting. What is the number one growth tip you have discovered? Now, when I'm thinking of growth tip, it could be to do with music. It could be to do with life. It could be to do with your own personal spiritual development, as it were. Oh, so growth tip. Um... Well, I think, like I mentioned, like the awareness part is really, but it's more than just yeah. awareness. The next step is really doing it. The action yeah. part, more important than anything else, doing something about it. So mm -hmm. a lot of times we get a little bogged down by like, oh, am I doing it the proper way? Oh, mm -hmm. do I need to do this, this and prep for this, this and this before I even do something. Well, a lot of times it's more about doing it and then you can adjust. And sometimes yeah. you forget about that. That's what I mean by there's no failure, but there's feedback. So, you yes. know, oh, yeah. well, this didn't work out so well. Let me just adjust. And our whole life, and even when you go on a plane, if you're going on the plane these days, <laughs> it's like, 
it's it course corrects every time that we go someplace it's not just one straight line it always yes. goes a little this way this way that way and yeah. we have to remember that yeah and it's, i suppose it's all of us as well watching other people for the feedback and be willing to give of your heart to people as well getting yes, that connection absolutely. it's all interactive we're all one really absolutely. when you break it down Mm-hmm. Well, listen, it's been a pleasure today to have you on the podcast to learn of your story and you. to learn of your wonderful events that you, you know, you have, which sound amazingly and very interestingly, you know, essential learning in a sense that if you want to reach those higher levels of technique and pianistic skills or just general musical skills, it sounds what you have to share is, you know, excellent stuff. So um, just to repeat your website, it's angelinechang.com. And I'll have your email there in the show notes for people to email you and so on. And thank you very much for coming on today. Well, thank you so much, Sylvia. It's been an honor and a pleasure. Real treasure talking with you. Love your podcast.